Our word today, God's word, is from Psalm 24, entrance into the temple of David, a psalm. May the words of the Lord resonate in us as they did with David. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. For he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false, and do not swear deceitfully, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of their salvation. Such is the company of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Living God, may your spirit enliven us this day that we might be reminded of your goodness, a goodness which founds the world and into which we are called to be participants. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, get out your, uh, if you gotta keep track of how many times I'm gonna cry. (laughs) And you can also, if you get bored, you can also get out your bulletin. It's really a pleasure to be here. I'm a little more emotional than normal, which is probably hard to believe, uh, because I was sick for a couple of weeks, and I tell you, I got so sick, and uh, I wondered, you know, would I ever get a chance to speak again from the pulpit? Um, So I'm very happy to be able to be here with you today, um, and happy to be with our brothers and sisters who are joining us online, whether it's today or down the road. I'm still a little bit froggy, So from time to time, I might have to take a little sip of water. Otherwise, though, on the mend. Well, good morning. morning. All right. Great to see all of you. As as you may know, this fall, we've been focusing on a particular theme. The theme is uh, all of us, hashtag all of us. And... uh, As we were thinking about what theme we might want to use for this coming year, we landed on all of us because of the many ways in which our community finds itself in a new season. Now, the new season about which I'm talking or speaking is certainly tied to the fact that we have adopted a new name, but I think it's much more than that. It actually includes the fact that the events of the past few years, certainly events well beyond the walls of this church, have changed us. We now live in a time that we might describe as post-pandemic. Even though COVID isn't gone, we're in a new stage of experiencing that. 
We live in a time that we might describe as post-George Floyd. Yes, racial injustice continues, but we're all much more aware of its reality. This is also, of course, a time that continues to be racked with political and other divisions. What I mean to name in all of these, and probably we could add many more, I'm certain that many of you have had personal changes and transformations in your own lives, is that we've traveled through many, many upheavals and profound transformations, some of which are all are ongoing. And I, I want to venture to say that in the midst of all this change, it really does feel like something new is genuinely upon us. It seems like we've entered into a new time, which though it is filled with difficulties, for sure, it's also filled with new promise. The question is, how are we going to respond to this new time? Well, whatever we do and whatever direction we discern that God might be calling us as a community, it's my conviction, and I think that the, my brothers and sisters on staff share this, that it's going to take all of us to get there. All of us. Yes, all of us. Our whole person, the whole of our lives, the whole of this community. This is what the all of us theme is meant to name. Now, why, you may ask, is it going to take all of us? And uh, to kind of not bury the lead, quite simply because God. All of us is the mantra and the theme of this year, this fall, not just because we want to be nice, we want to be inclusive, we want to be holistic, we want to be congregational. No, those are all very good reasons. Rather, the all of us is the theme because that is what God is after. God wants the whole of us. God is interested in all of us. In fact, God is interested in the whole inhabited earth. That at least is what our passage today tells us. Psalm 24 is a very interesting psalm. It is generally classified among what are sometimes called the enthronement psalms. And these are psalms that typically deal with the enthronement of God or Yahweh as king. And many scholars argue that it may well be a compilation of earlier materials meant to be used in a festival celebrating Yahweh as the great king. They'll generally point to a passage that you find in 2 Samuel chapter 6 where David is depicted as going to Shechem and bringing forth the ark into Jerusalem, dancing in front of it as he does as the root of such a festival. The idea is that 
once a year, either in the spring or the fall, ancient Israel held a festival celebrating God as the source and goal of life. And that the tabernacle or the temple was the site where God could be encountered most palpably. This festival was meant to remind everyone in Israel, including especially the most powerful, the king, that the true king of Israel was God, was Yahweh. And that this God was interested, in fact, no, this God actually had a claim to make on the whole community, indeed on the entire earth. Now the psalm itself, uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, I had a lot of time while I was sick to do so. Uh, it can be divided into three different parts. Uh, in very straightforward language, the first part declares to us that God is creator. The second part uh, begins in verse three. It goes from verses three through six. And this part pairs God's claim over the whole of the universe with a very holistic ethical vision of what it would mean to respond to this God. And then in the final portion, verses seven to the end and 11, this envisions the enthronement of God as the final consummation of God's work on behalf of creation. Now today I'm really only gonna be able to focus on the first two portions, unless you wanted to stay longer. I mean, we could do that. I can pull something out, I'm sure. Uh, so in these first two verses we hear God is the creator. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and all who live in it. For he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. These verses summarize and make plain one of the most basic descriptions that we hear about God in all of scripture which is that God is creator. And this is a claim, of course, that doesn't just tell us that we are not our own masters or that we are not the source of our own lives. It further undercuts our greed by reminding us that if anyone has a claim to owning anything, it is in us. It is Yahweh, the creator. And much like the opening chapter of Genesis, our passage roots this claim not so much in God's unlimited power as it does in God's goodness. God is so good. Now in that first chapter of Genesis, God is depicted as the one who makes space and time for creation to thrive. Think about that language. Do you make time for people? Do you make space for people? 
When you do that, you are doing what God does. God divides the light from the darkness. This is what a passage tells us. The sky from the sea, the dry land from the water. And in each of these spaces, God lovingly makes the conditions for life to grow and expand. And they're depicted, all of this is depicted in poetic form as filled with celestial bodies, birds, fish, animals, lush vegetation, and human beings. This is a God whose creative power is displayed as fundamentally good. A creative power whose aim is not simply that there should be a creation, but that there should be a creation that lives and flourishes. Friends, the origin of everything is the goodness of God. Now this very same dynamic is actually also at work in our passage today, even though it's very much in a shorthand, uh, and, and you find it especially in verse two. Now before I jump into reading that verse, let me just explain. In the ancient world, and according to the way that ancient people imagined the world, the sea and the ocean were not necessarily viewed favorably. The sea or the waters were often depicted as places of chaos and death in the myths that we can find throughout the ancient Near Eastern world. Myths like the Epic of Gilgamesh, for instance. Well, this perspective is also at work in the Hebrew scriptures. The ocean, the seas, the waters were believed to be inhospitable places Places where human beings in particular could not thrive, let alone live. The seas, the rivers, and the oceans could bring death as much and as easily as they could bring life. And this was especially the case with the ocean since human beings couldn't even drink the water. Now this notion shows up in our passage in verse two when it tells us that the God of creation has established the earth on top of the waters. It says in verse two, for he has founded it, it being creation on the seas, and established it on the rivers. Now what is going on here? Well, let me tell you what I think is going on here. To say that God has secured the world on top of the waters is tantamount to saying that God has subdued the chaos that the waters represent. And for what reason? Just to exercise God's muscles? No, so that creation can thrive. In other words, for the psalmist, at least, what makes God Lord of creation, what makes God Lord of the earth is not so much that God is all powerful. It's not simply the fact that God made the world. It's rather that God's goodness has secured a world 
where people can actually live a flourishing life. That's what matters. I think this point is really worth stopping to ponder over. When we think of God, if we think of God, we're sometimes tempted to think of God as simply all-powerful, perhaps even an imperious taskmaster. And nothing makes me more angry when we treat God or we allow our image of God to just be some sort of brash, someone who's out to get you. A kind of nightmarish feeling that God might be some all-powerful taskmaster bent on getting on our case if we get out of line. But this, my friends, this is not the way that many of the biblical writers speak about God. Even though they may recognize that God is all-powerful, what really matters to them is the way that God is God. The way that God exercises that power is what makes Yahweh unique. In the Hebrew Bible, what sets Yahweh apart from the other gods, quote unquote, is always Yahweh's goodness. It's always Yahweh's compassion. It's always Yahweh's mercy. That's what makes Yahweh God. God's goodness is what drives God's curiosity. It's what drives God's interest and care for creation. God is interested in hashtag all of us because God is in love with all of us. Because God can't help it. God is so good. Now how do we respond to this truth? Well, when we turn to the very next section in the Psalm, verses three through six, we hear about what a human response would look like. And again, so as not to bury the lead, we are literally called upon to respond with our whole selves. These verses especially remind us that this Psalm might have actually been used in an ancient festival if you read them very carefully, in which the Ark of the Covenant, which supposedly carried the stone tablets of the Law of Moses, and which symbolically represented God's presence, was carried into Jerusalem to be placed in the tabernacle or the temple. The text literally says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Well, this is a direct reference to the Temple Mount. So imagine a festival where this is happening. But these are the questions, right? Who shall ascend that hill? Now for an ancient Israelite, God could be encountered anywhere, but most especially and most palpably in and through the temple. So the real question that the psalmist is asking here is who can enter into God's presence? And the answer given to us is that it's one whose whole person is oriented towards the goodness of God. The verses read, 
Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts who do not lift up their souls to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. Now these verses are organized in a literary structure that is typically called a chiasm. I'm going to show you off a little bit of my MDiv theological abracadabra here. A chiasm is effectively when you make one statement and then you might make a couple of other statements and then you come back to make. So it's organized A, B, B, A, or ABBA, if you like the 70s. Right? <laughs> so how do, you, how do you organize it? Those who have clean hands are those who do not swear deceitfully, while those who have pure hearts are those who don't lift up their souls to what is false. That's how you unlock what's going on here in the, in the literary structure. In other words, the whole person is called on to respond to God's goodness by number one, not defrauding their neighbor. And number two, not allowing their allegiance to God to be turned towards something else. God wants all of us. Now if we had some time, I would spend, uh, if we had more time I should say, I would spend a bit of it exploring whether or not any of us in this room, online or anywhere else could ever hope to live up to this calling. And I would spend some time talking about the truth that because Jesus Christ has lived up to this, we too can stumble towards it by the power of the spirit that Jesus gives to us. But what I wanna ask you to do today is to consider the question, what does all of you mean to you? What does it mean when I tell you that God is interested in all of us, in all of you? Does that mean simply that you come to church on Sunday, maybe you give a little bit of money here and there, or might it mean something more than that? For the psalmist, it certainly seems to imply that it means much more than that. All of us is just that. It means the whole person. A pure heart here is one who orients themselves totally towards the goodness of God. To not lift up your soul or your inner being to that which is false means conversely to give your soul the seat of your heart from the perspective of the biblical writers to that was just true. And I'm gonna cry again, because <laughs> what is true? That God is good. That God is good and that God's goodness, that is what makes the world go round. Not violence not hatred, 
not greed. The real grain of the universe is the goodness of God, not those other things. So don't give your heart to those other things. Give them to what is true, that God is good and that God wants that goodness for you and for you and you and you and you, for all of us. It means that the goodness of God is meant for every creature on this planet. It means that all people are the object of God's love. And likewise, to not swear deceitfully, that means not only to not speak ill of your neighbor, but conversely, to seek their good. To put our whole selves to the task of making spaces where human community can thrive in a healthy and welcoming way. It means doing whatever we can, whether it is a great or small thing or somewhere in between, to see to it that rest and play and work and all that happens in human life is oriented towards giving life, giving hope, giving welcome, friendship, healing, shelter, and a whole host of other things. Now I believe that we can actually become a community like this. In some ways we are like this. In some ways we have continue, continued need to lean into it. This fall, I entered into a program at United Theological Seminary. And this was called the Leadership Center for Social Justice. Now, I already have two master's degrees and a doctorate, so what am I doing? That's a question my wife would ask. <laughs> well, my principal reason for being in this program is to explore whether our community can become an educational hub, not only for those who work, work, work or worship here, but also for anyone else interested in what we are doing, missionally or otherwise. Now, it should not really surprise you that your teaching minister would want to create a ministry focused on community education. That should be pretty straightforward. But as I've reflected on this, I've come to the conclusion that this is only going to be everything that it can be if all of us are somehow involved. And what I mean by that is if more and more of you, more and more of the people from our community can find ways to teach others through this organization. I mean, I love teaching, I really do. And that's why I'm crying today, because I feared, you know, it's gonna be a while before I get a chance to teach again. But there are some of you in this room who have so much more to say about so many other things that I can't speak about. You know how to talk about parenting. You know how to talk about gardening and the care of the earth. You know how to talk about cooking. 
I cannot cook. I can clean, but I cannot cook. You know how to talk about the art of living well. You know how to talk about what it means to pursue an ethical vision in business. You know how to talk about the beauty of music and art. You and all the folks in that other room and those of you who are online who sometimes come and join us, you are the real teachers. You're the real teachers here. Now, I am indeed buttering you up. And I want you to understand why. In this next week or so, you're gonna receive a survey that's part of my program over at United. And it's a survey that's meant to gather some information about our community, our, our passions, our hopes for the future, our vision of what our community either is or could be. But it's also going to gauge interest in this community in the possibility of creating a center for community education. I really implore you to please don't ignore when you get that email. Take the time to fill out this survey because it will not only give me an idea of what such a venture might look like, it will give all of the leadership, both lay and staff, a fuller picture of just what hashtag all of us looks like to you. We want to know what that looks like to you, not just because we're nice, not just because we're congregational, not just because we want to be inclusive, but because God, because God is interested in the whole of you. Amen. Let's pray. Living God, help us to see the big and the small bits of goodness in our lives and to share that goodness with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.